Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. This is episode 62 of the Traveling Image Makers with Ugo Che and Ralph Velasco. This episode was recorded while I was traveling. I didn't have good connectivity, so Ralph was alone leading the interview and talking with our guest, who is Roche Sillers. Roche is not only a great uh, food, uh, portrait, real estate and travel photographer on his own, but he's also one of the foremost experts on social media marketing for photography. There's a lot of information packed in the next uh, 40 minutes or so, and Roche is such a nice and very uh, interesting guy. I'm sure you will agree with me. Before I give the microphone to Ralph, I'll just uh, point out that you can find all the links and show notes for this episode at ttim.photo forward slash 62. And now enjoy Ralph's interview with Roche Sillers. Hi, everyone. This is going to be yet another really interesting episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. Today, we're going to talk to my friend and fellow photographer, Rosh Sillers. Rosh is the founder and host of the Creative Marketing Podcast, a really great show about how creatives of all types, including us photographers, can more effectively market ourselves. Not only that, Rosh is an expert at optimizing social media channels, so we'll definitely be talking to him about the best way to do that. That said, of course, it makes sense that he co-authored, along with photographer Lindsay Adler, The Linked Photographer's Guide to Online Marketing and Social Media, as well as The One-Hour Photographer and Two Canon Digital Field Guides, all of which are available on Amazon and some bookstores. Rosh, you and I have known each other for at least six or seven years now. You invited me to be guest on your podcast, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. Absolutely. And, yeah, and you were kind enough to have me out to speak at your ASMP group in Detroit, where you're based. And so I thought it would be nice to return the favor and have you on our show. Welcome, and why don't you tell our listeners a bit about your background and how you came to be a photographer and podcaster. Excellent. Thank you so much. It's hey, it's an honor to be on your show, and uh, of course to see you. We obviously people don't see us on the podcast, but we're <laughs> two looking uh, guys here with <laughs> minus the, <laughs> the extra stuff on top, uh, and proud of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, both of us have better things to do with our testosterone than to grow hair, right? right? <laughs> um, no, you know, photography has always been a part of my life. Um, my dad had a darkroom when I was a kid, and I went into high school with the ambition of taking photography classes. I was fortunate to have that, um, a good program in front of me. Um, came out of high school as one of the uh, top scholastic photographers and just continued from there. Went to uh, school, my degrees in photography. At the same time, I was also winning awards in marketing. And I kind of put that on the side, but it was always an internet geek and just continued down that path of following, you know, marketing, using the marketing knowledge, testing things, being involved online while I was developing my photography career, which helped me grow my photography career. And as you know, um, you know, mid 2000, 2008, uh, the whole world crashed around us here in Detroit. 
And I thought, you know, now's the time to really start pushing this, uh, you know, the, the online stuff with my photography, maybe help other photographers. And so I had been podcasting a little bit with my friend Dean, who is a writer. So I had been podcasting a year and I decided, you know, I'm going to just totally take it on my own and focus on photographers. And, um, and that's what I've done. And I started speaking, um, again, writing books. And my, my main goal is to support photographers and other creatives to help their career. I figured if I can uh, scratch my way out of Detroit with a good, solid career, I can help anyone just about anywhere. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know you concentrate a lot on food photography. And food is such an important part of travel that I always recommend my clients make a special effort to capture food in a location. Uh, this certainly doesn't only mean the standard shots of plates of food that we see a lot of today, but also the food in markets, restaurants, food stalls, how it's being prepared, things like that. Uh, can you give us three or four of your top tips for great food photography? I mean, sure. how, can we, how can we go beyond just the plated food shot we've all seen and taken before? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, photography, light. Bottom line, consider the light. When you have good light, you know, take advantage of it. Make sure most of the time the light should be behind the food. Um, that is usually where we start, and then we can fill in from there. If you have a little piece of paper in your pocket or something like that to bounce a little more light in, um, if you are maybe shooting through the window uh, or something like that, or you're outside. Another another thing I often recommend is look away from the plate. Look look away. See how it was prepared. If if it is a plate, um, see take a look at the people who are enjoying the food elsewhere, the community around that food. Um, maybe there's some backstory about how the food was grown, maybe how the food was prepared. Uh, maybe there's some new ideas that you can uh, approach. So look away from the plate is another really good one. And, you know, try try new angles, new composition. Uh, I am always looking for new things. But when, when it comes down to, you know, there's that, um, you know, the magazine editorial style that has that very shallow depth of field. I still find that very pleasing. Um, and so I'll say do that, but, you know, make sure you get intimate with the food. When you do have a plate in front of you, get intimate. Find a good focal point to, to focus on. I still like to use that shallow depth of field as much as possible when, when appropriate and, and uh, focus in and get intimate with the food. And I think if you work with those three things in general, you're going to be in good shape. You know, work on the lighting. Think about the light, the quality of the light. Um, think about, you know, looking away from the plate, um, the, what ultimately brought that food there and, and any concepts around that. And then, of course, get intimate with the food when you are photographing it directly. Fill that frame with the subject. I love that. Um, you know, <clears throat> some of that, I mean, it, it all goes into just sort of about all types of photography, but it really makes sense when you're talking about food. Uh, I'm always talking about being aware of the direction and quality of light. So yep. that's exactly what you're saying in number in your number one tip. I love the idea of looking away from the plate and seeing what else is going around, going on around, and maybe reactions and things mm -hmm. like that. That's, that's a fantastic idea. Emotion and, is very powerful. Good point. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, great. I mean, those are things that uh, that I do kind of. Uh, 
subconsciously, I guess, with all my photography, but it makes so much sense with, with food. And, uh, and I, I think that food and travel go so much hand in hand, you know, the culture of a place and its food. So important on, on my trips, I always include a locally guided foodie tour. So we go out with a local guide that's an expert on the food. They teach us about it. They, they show yeah. us how it's prepared, uh, different forms of it, raw, cooked, etc. So um, fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, great. Um, Absolutely. Now, I, I also know that uh, you do a lot of bit of, uh, you do quite a bit of portrait photography. And mm-hmm. um, you do a lot of annual reports and, and things like that. What what types of portrait photography yeah. are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it, it's across. It's mostly business related. Uh, mostly, mostly corporate. Um, I, my studio mate does more fashion. I'm not a big fashion photographer. Like, um, you know, Lindsay is big into fashion and, and things like that. I, not so much in my world. I'm more. I'll do corporate magazines, uh, business magazines, uh, corporate portraitures. One of the things that I'm known for, and one of the things you certainly do when developing your niche in in photography is finding out what is that pain point for your customer and one of the pain points i found is just that time factor how executives you know have no time and so so i you have 20 minutes or even celebrities you know a lot of the people i photograph are maybe celebrity but in in the business world and and you have 20 minutes and i'm able to scope out the the area, find multiple locations and get a lot of good shots in a quick period of time. And uh, editors are really happy with that. Uh, The clients, the PR people are happy with that. And so that's kind of really helped me in the development of my uh, portrait career. So, yeah, that's it's it's a it's a good it's a good thing. It's a good bread and butter element, especially, you know, here in Detroit. You know, we have a few different areas. Um, I focus again on the food, people and interiors. And that's the third one. And and if you think about it, that's a restaurant. <laughs> so, you know, I often do a lot of restaurants around that, but it, it does uh, overlap into other areas, you know, interior designers and so forth. Well, I would definitely want to talk about the interior photography in just a minute, but back to the uh, people and portrait photography. Yeah. It's interesting. You talk about this pain point and the fact that these uh, busy executives don't have a lot of time, but um, I find the same thing when I'm out photographing people, and it's one of the hardest things to do with uh, photographing people when traveling, for me at least when I started out, was I always felt like I was taking people's time. Right. Especially if you're in a market and it's a vendor and you know, you've know you got this very interesting face and uh, maybe you want to ask them to move against a better background or something. But I was always sort of shy about asking them to go away from their business. Um, I certainly wouldn't do it during a busy time, but uh, I found that if I could focus, get my exposure right, do everything I could before I asked for that person's time, and I'm sure you do this, you know, in yeah. a, especially in a controlled environment. Certainly. But if you can get all that stuff set and then all you have to do is point and shoot with that person, it, it made yeah. me feel more comfortable. Sure. Um, I mean, I obviously use a lot of strobes in these situations. So understanding my equipment and and, and in a situation, I'll even give you an example. It happened uh, uh, about a month ago, a little more than that. It was just a last minute cover of a uh, magazine, small magazine locally. And the art directors asked me, hey, you know, can you go over and meet this person? He was a priest. 
you know, is in this beautiful um, uh, um, um, temple, and and they had um, uh, you know glass um, behind it, you know, just really beautiful um, environment. But I I got there, and I had the wrong equipment. Someone, you know, somehow didn't come out. So I had one light, but I had no way to connect with that light. So I had to figure out in minutes how I was going to connect from my camera to that strobe. And I had one and how I was going to do multiple things and make, create multiple looks quickly. Basically, my plan A was gone and my plan B would be gone. And so I was down to D C and possibly D in some circumstances because the person was far away. But knowing my equipment so well, having the experience to have you know, similar situations, you know, I, I didn't come out embarrassed. The, I did tell the client what I was doing, that I had to make some adjustments here because some of the equipment I normally would have was not there. I, I wasn't going to you know, BS them. I was going to let them know, but I said, I'm going to get the shot. And we got the shot and it looked beautiful. And it was in, inside and you know, using the slower shutter speed, but I did have a tripod, fortunately, and using the strobe. So it all worked out, but you never know. It doesn't always go the way you think it's going to, and you need to be prepared. And knowing your equipment, even if it's your... C or D backup, <laughs> you need to know how to apply it. Yeah, no, th those are good points. Uh, knowing your gear is just paramount. Uh, and, it, and it shows what a professional you are that you could adjust and use different tools to get a great result. So yeah, that, that yeah. yeah. No, it's important. But like you said, you know, being prepared before you set up. So when I have situation with an executive or somebody that I, I'm, I've done it a few tests, I have a million pictures of my assistants and the <laughs> tests and, you know, and, and so we know what's what's happening. And but then I'm going to have to move everything and adjust from there. And knowing the again, knowing the equipment to make sure that I can move forward and know what's happening if the, or a, a plan B if something isn't going as originally planned. Right, right. Well, uh, with travel photography, I'm always harping about getting a variety of shots. And yes. So, yeah, it's interesting. So you're 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 focusing on food, uh, portraits, and interiors. So these are yep. three what I would call categories of a shot list. Yeah. So interiors, another specialty of yours. Why don't you give us some tips about uh, photographing interiors? Sure. And you, you mentioned variety. And I, often when I teach classes, I would call it the triangle method. I don't know. I just just what I called it. The whole idea to force yourself. I mean, I, I would teach photojournalism and at the universities. And I would say, look, you know, you need to get a variety of images for those editors. They don't want the same shot 60 times. And so I, I would force the students say, look, think about the triangle method. Start off overall and work your way into a medium shot that kind of tells the story. Overall sets the scene, medium shot tells the story, then a close up for drama. And then work your way back out. And then you have different angles and we would apply different other techniques that you could add. But start with that triangle of those three shots and then add other types of shots with it. And I do the same with all food people and the interiors. When it comes to interiors, I often let the room tell me what I need to do. I often will start off with the tripod um, and, you know, and then just do a slow capture, slow shutter speed capture of the scene and see what's there. What light is coming in? What do I need to adjust? Because a lot of times, you know, a, a room has been designed with light in mind. And, and so if you can see what the designer has already offered you and what the room already offers you, and then I will pull out my lights 
and make adjustments and figure out, okay, some cases I think, oh, I can do a better job. This room really isn't lit in a way, whether maybe it's the direction the sun is at that moment, um, the time I have, whatever it may be. But I, I never just start setting up my lights because I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I let it start off natural and then I build from there with one light at a time and making adjustments. And then once I have those adjustments down, then I'll, I'll create a few variations from there. And that works out very well. Uh, but obviously, when you're traveling and moving around and, and from spot to spot, I mean, we're fortunate today that we have su such so much higher ISOs to work with for interiors and, and so forth. You know, but definitely think about your foreground. Think about what's in your background. Try to play with your foreground and, and compose it with your background elements. That can be very interesting. Think about the light, the quality of light you do have. Um, if you don't have any control of the light in there, see what you can do to um, sometimes the, the stuff that you feel like is a flaw or a problem, sometimes just enhancing that, embracing the big issue in front of you and make that part of the image. Because obviously that is part of the environment, whatever that may be, whether that's light directly into your lens or it's uh, you know some kind of a... Uh, element that you don't think belongs there. I don't know. I mean, there's so many different approaches you can take, uh, but you know, be creative and don't just pick one spot within a room and say this is my angle. You know, start there, but then move around, and then of course use what I refer to as the triangle method and look for the details in that room or in that environment and see what you can pick up. Right. And uh, what about the uh, vertical lines, trying to keep those vertical lines straight? How are you doing that? Are you using tilt shift lenses? Uh, no, I usually uh, I'm usually in Photoshop doing that, making those adjustments. Uh, that, that's usually where I'll go. Um, it's it, for most cases that will work. Um, if I have in some situations, I will rent a tilt shift, shift lens. I don't have one um, uh, on, you know, in my bag. But um, I, I do enjoy using them when, when I have them available. And, and if, it's, if it's a client that I know it's a requirement, um, I, I will rent one. Yeah, because uh, what I'm referring to, if people aren't familiar with it, is when, you know, that when that sensor is not parallel to those vertical lines, if you're, for instance, photographing shooting up at a tall building or something, those lines are going to converge. And right. so Rosh is saying that he'll do some things in post-processing that can straighten out those lines. But yep. there are lenses called tilt-shift lenses that can, you know, they're very expensive, and I'm sure yep. that's why you rent them. <laughs> yep. and, yeah, uh, absolutely. But that'll help keep those lines straight. What's that? Right. Yeah, because we don't use them all the time. I mean, in, the, in days past in architectural photography, we'd use a 4 by 5 camera that, you know, you could use a little shine flu, and uh, next thing you know, you have a straight... Um, building, you know, right in the and through your your you know your to your film directly. Um, but today you have a lot. You have so many options uh, when you so you don't have to have have a big four by five camera with bellows and all that to straighten those lines out anymore. So um, yeah, you know you do have those options. And again, post processing can do it. But you know sometimes you like to do it in camera. Sometimes it's a little more necessary to do that. And then a good tilt shift, uh, which is you know probably at least two thousand to three thousand dollars for a good one in most cases. Yeah. Well, speaking of shifting, why don't we shift over to the business side of photography? Yeah. So you've got two very interesting concept that, concepts that you often speak of. Uh, one is the combination code, 
and the other is about building your own sur- uh, solar system. Excuse me. Yeah. Why don't mm-hmm. you briefly explain each of those concepts? Well, the foundation of what I do is I, I own a media company, and the, our job is to open new markets uh, for our clients. And one of the first things you think about is how to separate yourself from the competition, and that's the combination code, finding your combination code. And basically, you, you look at what is your core. So if you're a photographer, and this came out of some conversations I had on the road many years ago, uh, with a lot of, uh, I, I was doing portfolio reviews actually, uh, and and consulting with some very well-known photographers who were having trouble in the late two thousand, uh, yeah, two thousands, you know, eight, nine, ten, and and so we we started. I, I started noticing that those folks who were dealing with the Great Recession, the ones that were surviving, were the ones that kind of had an and what we would call. So they were a photographer. And a videographer. They're a photographer and a writer. They're a photographer in something that they could apply to their core skill that separated them from the competition. In other words, they weren't a commodity. And by applying the combination code, you're not a commodity. If you if you're just like everyone else, photographing like everyone else, following the latest guru's tips that ten thousand other photographers are following, you know. You're just photographing like everyone else. And so then it becomes about price because they can find a million of you. So you need to offer something that other people do not have. And that could be a skill. It could be a Photoshop technique that you've developed, a style. It could be adding an element from another industry. There are a lot of things you can add to your core and you can continue to add and it continues to continue to evolve, which is a big part of the concept. You have to continue to evolve. And if you do that, then you can command the price that you deserve because you are one of a few people who do what you're doing well specific in that niche. And you say, well, you know, there are only so many people in your town that need that specific thing. And I say, well, that that may be the case and that may have been a problem, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But today you have the world, as you know. You know, the world is available to you now. You know, even think regionally. Don't think yourself as a local photographer. Think of yourself as a regional or national photographer and build and find that one person here. You know, for me, it would be that one person who needs the style of photography I have here in Detroit and find another one in Texas and another one in California, another one in New York. Before you know it, you're going to have enough clients and have a career because these people throughout the country, if not the world, need specifically what you are offering. So you do have to find it. You need, do need to test. I mean, not every idea and every combination works. It, it does take a little testing, but it also takes persistence in finding those clients. Fortunately, we have the digital world, such as social media and so forth, to find them a little bit easier than we could a number of years ago. I love that idea, and, uh, and I know you call it your and so find yes. your and. So you're right. a photographer and what else that are you going to add to your quiver to make you less of a commodity, not just another photographer, but a photographer with this additional skill? Right. And it can still be within the photography. Some people are just like, I'm a purist. I'm a photographer. I'm not going to be a writer or, you know, get into VR or anything else. That's not what I want to do. Okay fine, but you need to offer something. And here's the thing it can't be because somebody's saying this right now. Well, it's my great service, you know, or it's my, my guarantee or it's, you know, Hey, I've been in business for 20 years. So what, you know, so have I, it, it, that has nothing to do with it. It is not your great service. 
everybody has to have great service if you're going to be around today in any business. So service is just a given. It's you know like accounting. You know, it's just part of the process. Some are better than others, but you know, unless you've earned that service designation because other people have shared that fact, because other people say you're the best in town when it comes to service, okay, that's fine. But it's like saying you're cool. You can't say you're cool. Only other people can say you're cool. And it's the same kind of a thing. So service, your guarantee, that's not your end. And I, I, I appreciate the idea that, you know, if you're not just a commodity and you've got these extra skills that you're that are your and now you can start charging premium prices. Right. Because you're not just another commodity, another photographer. Right. Love that idea. So tell us about your solar system concept. So the solar system concept is um, it, it, the basic foundation is this. Let me let me explain it from the very center, which is your sun. That's your website. That is where you where you sell, and you, you need to make you need to start there. You need to make sure your website is good. I mean, if you're in the position position where oh my gosh, I haven't updated my portfolio, I haven't updated anything at all, and the site looks like it's from 1999, you have a problem. You have a digital marketing problem. You need to start there. And make sure it's well optimized for the search engines, and, and you know with good SEO, which we can talk about if you, in a few moments. Um, and then from there, you have nearby. Um, it's not perfectly uh, aligned with physics, <laughs> but your blog, which is a I kind of call a moon around the sun, although that's not technically the case, <laughs> but it's like a moon around the sun, and that's your personality. And and you that is great for search engine optimization. It you know Google loves fresh good content, but it also helps establish you as an expert for your combination code or your and. And people like to see behind the scenes, like to know a little bit more about who you are. And a lot of photographers get work because they're using a good blog. Blogging still important. Video is still important. I've been doing more vlogs. I'm over at YouTube right now. Actually, this month, I'm spending all month, I'm doing 100 videos that I'm sharing on YouTube. And uh, generally, I do one a day now. Uh, but for this month, it's uh, you know multiple times a, a day and to get that 100 out. But the point being that video is a big part of our future and certainly a part of that conversation. Everybody's talking about video with, with Periscope and, again, YouTube and Instagram and uh, Facebook Live. But the written word on your blog is still very important. Google can't does not recognize the thousand words your photographs represent, and uh, being able to give it a little backstory. Some different people consume media differently, so some people really like to read. And if you can offer more information that way, it's very helpful on multiple fronts. And then we, next, to move on. We have our inner planets. That's the those are the internal, um, excuse me, the multimedia sites such as, such as YouTube or a Flickr, or you could use Periscope, wherever you're hosting multimedia uh, that you can draw from later or repurpose. The podcast, this podcast could be part of that inner, inner planet uh, scenario. And then you have your outer planets. That's where you engage. That's where you develop your community. That can be Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, so forth, where you are developing a community of people who appreciate your work, you're interacting with them. And the goal is to drive them in towards your YouTube channel, to your blog, to ultimately your website where you sell. 
And that's the, the idea. And you can have many different areas. You can have asteroids. That's email. Develop a good email campaign. You can do pay-per-click to help drive people to landing pages connected to your website. Or, yeah, to your website. So, you know, develop that out. You don't have to have – you don't have to be on every single channel actively. But you do need to have a core channel. For me, it's been Twitter for years. Uh, but, you know, you could use YouTube or Instagram or Pinterest as your core channel where most of your activity is, where you just become the expert on. Um, as you grow, you may add a couple more channels, as I have through the years that I'm really active on. But don't go beyond your your means in terms of your time. And, and make sure that you can handle the marketing solar system plan that you put into place. And it's different for everyone, but you should lay it out that way and so you understand how you're approaching your marketing. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, t talking about these different social media platforms, is there one that photographers should concentrate on? Is it as easy as saying that or is it an individual thing? It's an individual thing. I mean, it depends on your goals. I know photographers are doing very well on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, they're getting work from Instagram. Their, their stuff's tagged well. They get a good following there. And they're finding some opportunities, actually some good paying ones. You know, you, you might your gut feeling maybe, oh, yeah, I can find somebody who wants something cheap. No, actually some pretty good paying jobs. You know, brands will look through Instagram to find the right photographer for what they're offering. And, and sometimes they're very amateur photographers, but they're getting, photo you know, ideas and they're getting um, – opportunities the photographers are finding opportunities pinterest is there um, although I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend pinterest for that specifically as your core facebook is always good um but you know you know when you have a business page you you may have to make sure it's really you, you're gonna have to pay to play a little bit more to develop the facebook page today um uh, you, youtube i i like to use i'm using more and more as i mentioned but you know ultimately all these locations all these social media sites you don't own so ultimately you probably want to get them to your blog and really develop that community and and, and capture emails that's really important because you don't own facebook you don't own twitter and linkedin so as much as you can build a community there if they go down and they do go down i mean we've had feed we've had vine we've had um you know uh, blab.im go down i mean we've had a bunch of sites that were their big there are communities there you know people were using them and they lost everything there so you never know maybe twitter will go down this year i don't know so i have to have a plan b and make sure i can reach out and connect with my community if uh, twitter doesn't keep going the way uh, i want it to so or any social platform it's always changing well you mentioned pinterest and yeah. um for me i'm thinking about starting to shift some of my social media, uh, you know, assets or resources towards Pinterest. Sure. Now, um, talk to me a little bit about that because my feeling is that it's a very visual type of, of social media platform. It's, it's all based on visuals and yep. it, uh, it's much more long living than Twitter and Facebook right. where the feed just goes away. Right. Can the you search give element. Me, yeah, can you know, as a photographer yeah. and a tour organizer, can you give me some tips there specifically? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, you have to look at why do people go to Pinterest? And and that is generally for inspiration. Ideas. Often so they can do it themselves. 
Now, what you do with your travel could certainly fit within that realm. They want to do it themselves or they want to go photograph themselves, but you can offer a tour of sorts to, to go to a place that they would not go dare travel or want to go alone. So if you can develop, develop that community with that idea in mind and, and, and find more people who are interested in what you do, and as they get used to seeing your images and trust you as a person, and that's a big part of social media, developing that trust. And as they feel they get to know you, the opportunity to actually sell to them in, in a way um, starts to build. So, yeah, Pinterest could do that. Now, for me, portrait photography, maybe food would work for me on Pinterest. Um, I do throw some of that stuff up there once in a while, but I have not concentrated on that. So I can't you know, report back to you how I've experienced it. But I do know some photographers that who, who've had good luck there. You just have to think about what is the goal of the person going to the social media site. That's why I say Facebook, for example, you know, if it's your personal account, that's friends and family. And a lot of people say, well, you can't sell there. It's like, no, but you can show what you do. You're a photographer. You're not selling insurance. You can show people the latest of what you've been doing and give some anecdotes and things like that about your life as a photographer. And the thing is, we've all received referrals from friends and family. And that's where all the people who know, like, and trust you are on Facebook. And so they can see you passively and remember, oh, a friend of mine needs, you know, hey, I'm going to call Cousin Joe. They, you know, or Aunt Sue, they, they, they're a photographer and they're connected to me on Facebook and you can get that referral. That happens all the time. So each platform has its own use in its own way. Obviously, LinkedIn being very business oriented directly um, and Instagram is, is just a lot of fun and creativity um, so forth. So, you know, you just think about why. Whatever that is and whether it's down the road, it's a new social media platform or advertising platform, just think about why that person is there. And then the, the, the answer is, am I offering that person what they are looking for and can I benefit from that as part of my business plan? I like it. I like it. Um, you talked about some services that have gone by the wayside are there any new social media platforms on the horizon that we should be aware of, or is it still pretty much that Facebook, Instagram, Twitter trio? Yeah, well, there there are many out there. I mean, obviously, the video world is big. You know, Periscope um, is, is still solid. Um, I like working with Periscope. It's integrated with Twitter. Um, of course, Facebook Live is an extension, obviously, Facebook. Um but, you know, there's some some that I've worked with, um, working directly with BB.com, um, uh, B-E-B-E-E. -E, uh, -E -E. They're out of Madrid, and they're trying to break into um, uh, the U.S. market. And uh, they have a nice platform. It's a nice, clean platform you can share. Um, and there's a community, especially if you like to uh, connect with people around the world, because they're not as strong, especially if you're into Spain, uh, Madrid. But there, there's the English portion, and there's certainly English following. They're certainly trying to push their way more and more and offer more to the U.S. community. Um, another one that I'm just starting to work with, and, and let me disclose that they've hired me to help them um, in, in different ways, so I don't want to... Um, uh, mis misguide anyone with the fact with that without stating that fact um, they're just launching right now it's called gigso uh, and gigigso.com -G and they're um, in a beta stage it may, you know kind of keep an eye on them 
they're they're developing a platform where you can get rewarded for your social influence and activity. So some of us have a lot of influence and activity, and you can develop uh, rewards um, through your through your influence. And it's kind of like a Facebook, Twitter style kind of uh, platform, but um, that that's their hook is that you know your activity and by helping other brands or helping somebody find a job or whatever it may be, you can earn rewards down the road for doing that. So I thought that was interesting. Um, other sites, there are always new ones developing. You know, take a look at new groups even. you know go go to meetup even meetup.com is a great place where you can start developing um, relationships with people locally or nationally um, on in, in Facebook groups, develop those groups. One thing that I find and have been pushing people more towards on the Facebook front, you know, yeah, I have that Facebook page, but if you really want to develop community, you're not going to do it without paying for it on face on Facebook. So develop a group. And if you develop a group, now all of your um, posts have a much higher chance of getting in front of the people within that group than if you just post something to your Facebook page. Um, so that that's something I highly recommend if you're trying to debate between the two worlds. So, so that that's where we are now. Um, always something new. I guarantee you. You know, by about you know two or three months, you know, South by Southwest, we start getting new new stuff popping up that is of, always of interest. And people ask, should I sign up? I say, yes, always sign up for it. And, you know, play around with it. At least you're open. May, you know, see what see what it does so you're knowledgeable. And if you start hearing more rumblings and other people talking about it, then you can kind of wander back over there and see if there's some more activity happening and you're already established there and you can build off of that. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Rosh. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about you and follow you online? Hey, uh, RoshSillers.com is a great place. You can follow my podcast as well as my blog posts. Hey, I highly encourage because I'm really on the YouTube path, as if you, if you couldn't tell already. You can subscribe there or go to YouTube forward slash RoshSillers. And I'm sharing mostly digital marketing ideas to help people there. So um, that that's a good place, good place to connect. Great. And we'll uh, have links to all those in the show notes. Well, if you'd like more information about me, please visit my website at photoenrichment.com. And you can follow me on all the social media networks at both at Photo Enrichment and at Ralph Velasco. Uh, to find out more about Ugo, please visit his site at ucphoto.me. And you can search for him on all the social media outlets. I know he was... Uh, Upset that he couldn't be with us today, but he is uh, traveling, as us travel photographers do. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, and uh, look forward to the next episode.